0: everyone, welcome to the Flexing Physio podcast. My name's Dan and I'm a physio currently based in Melbourne, Australia. This podcast is aimed for both students and new grads. In this podcast, there will be lots of fun banter and cool guests. Now, let's get into this episode. I'd like to invite Dominique Doyle, aka Out of the Blocks Performance, based up in Sunshine Coast. Welcome to the show, Dominic. Thanks so much for
1: having me, Dan. I know we're great fans of each other's Instagrams, so it's so good to to meet on here virtually.
0: Yes, that's right. Did I live up to your expectations?
1: <laughs> absolutely not. No, <laughs> absolutely. We've already had a few laughs, so absolutely. Really?
0: Well, Dom, tell us about yourself. Where do you work? What do you do for work? And what does a day in the life of Dom look like?
1: So I'm a performance psychologist. I split between a Clinic that I run here on the Sunshine Coast out of the box performance. And I'll see a whole range of different clients, different demographics. And then I split between that and being a team psychologist out at Sunshine Coast Lightning, our SSN team up here, the netball team. That consists of sometimes quite lengthy days, a lot of um, case notes, report writing, things like that. Very colorful days
0: filled with. Um, different people. With your netball team that you that you do work for, what sort of age group are they?
1: Our youngest one's um, still a teenager. Uh, yep. I think 19 might be the youngest one. And then that mm-hmm. ranges up to um, in the 30s. Kind of have a thing where the older netballers really mentor and support those younger ones coming through and those training partners as well.
0: Nice, nice. That's always sweet to see, isn't it? Rather than that real combative, like I'm better than you because I've been here for 30 years longer than you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They've got a good culture there for sure.
0: Personally, for me, seeing the age group between 8 to 18, that age range is the one that I'm least comfortable with. I just feel like I can't quite connect or can't quite click with them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that puberty age that they're just going through something hormonal, but I, I just find it so tough.
1: And and it might be that we're just not quite cool enough for them, Dan.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, you know what? That might be it.
1: <laughs> we're old now
0: I know oh my goodness all right Dob. so tell us which uni did you graduate from
1: I graduated from University of Queensland and I did a couple of degrees at University of Sunshine Coast prior to that
0: Sunshine Coast to me just sounds really dark and gloomy is that true
1: what's dark and gloomy about Sunshine Coast <laughs> <laughs> we have our days but no it's absolutely beautiful up here have you been have you been up this way
0: Negative. The closest I've been to Queensland is Yamba.
1: Oh, Yamba. Okay, so quite quite some distance away. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have to come up here, Dan, and have a for look. For sure,
0: for sure. Beautiful. You can give me a free psychology session.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> come sit on the couch here.
0: <laughs> Love it. Let's get straight into these questions. We've oh, opened up yeah. the the floor to my followers, and they've they've pumped up some pretty good questions. So I'm really really proud of them. So Dom, tell me and tell us. How can you sell someone exercise for someone who doesn't do it often?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think selling exercise to someone, it comes down to wording. Mm -hmm. I think if you word it as movement Mm -hmm. and moving the body, as opposed to maybe going out and sort of killing yourself with cardio or, or lifting heavy weights. And, and as, as much as that's all important, I think to start small with someone who's not used to it and, and saying, how can we move your body more? Or how can we make it a little bit more, maybe exciting or get you a little bit of different range of things, or maybe trying something a little bit different um that sometimes helps a little bit i've had some clients who were so opposed to exercise or sport altogether and they'd gone and tried um stand up paddleboarding for example and they said you know cool. that was something that they really connected with i'd say with that one as well kind of start small with goals uh, make it fun yeah. make it relatable to them uh, i think some people like having exercise buddies Mm. or connecting to groups and things like that, or group exercise, having some sort of reward. If you can sort of encourage them to have little rewards for for sort of starting something new and different. Yeah. And then from a psych perspective, I think it's important to make sure that that client has um, its autonomy, competence, mm. and relatedness. So they've got choice in what they're doing um, in those exercise behaviors and that movement in their body, or they want to do it, they value it. Um, They feel that they're achieving something and they feel connected. We probably all ought to kind of look at that in across allied health. Like how do we actually sell that? Um, And yeah, just bringing it back to how can we, how can you move your body more um, through the week? Can you find opportunities during the week? Can you find maybe in a lunch break time that you can just kind of walk around Mm. uh, your workplace uh, rather than sitting down, for example.
0: I love that answer. I've got a uh, patient at the moment. and She's so funny. I used the the e word with her, which is, I, I said the word exercise, and she said to me, <laughs> "Dan, don't say that word. I'm allergic to exercise. I'm allergic ah! to it." And I said, "How are you allergic to it?" And she goes, "Well, whenever I I do the e word, I break out in sweat. My face goes red, and I can't breathe." And I said to her, <laughs> I "Actually, said you know what?" Fair point. Mm,
1: And like when they start describing it to you, it sounds like, well, they're all the symptoms of anxiety, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. And it'd be quite daunting, I'd suppose, for clients who have never experienced really exercising much or Mm. moving their body much, which I'm sure we both can't personally relate to too much, but it's nice to have that empathy for them and kind of start them really small for sure.
0: I always go back to a phrase, which is if you want to move a mountain, you got to start with the first pebble.
1: Oh, that's brilliant.
0: You like that? Yes,
1: I like that. I like that. We might put that on the wall when you come visit, hey?
0: Love it. I want (laughs) to see a big mountain and next to it, lots of tiny pebbles. (laughs)
1: that's that's great um on that note too i think just as a little tool if you can move your body like just taking little steps during the day it's Mm. quite interesting to see how quickly your step count actually goes up Mm. i tried it myself and it was just adding a few more you know steps around the place and just being a bit conscious yeah and then you quite you can see how easy it is to integrate
0: into your day being mindful about how much time you spend sitting on your phone for example. And after you're mindful after that for a day, you actually realize how much time you spend sitting on your butt.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. If we all looked at our, our um, time on our phone, you know, there's that little thing in the settings where you can see how many hours you've used or yes.
0: Yeah. I've, I've disabled It'd that be setting because I'm not looking <laughs> at it. No, I refuse to look at
1: it. <laughs> uh, bit in denial there.
0: <laughs> yeah oh, there you go first stage of what acceptance let's uh yeah. let's get into the second question what's the one thing you find athletes are worst at complying with
1: in my experience i think athletes are probably the, the like probably the most exemplar clients to have in terms of they come in they're like, like golden stars really yeah i don't know if you find that too dan they come and they've done all the homework, they're yeah. ready to, you know, they've got their notebooks ready. Yeah. I think a lot of athletes I've worked with in the past really struggle with mindfulness and meditation. They kind of tend to want those efficient, real quick tools to help their game. Um, they, they kind of want to see those results as much as they're hardworking, really consistent in what they do. It's kind of really difficult to see that outcome. And sometimes it might take a little while, sometimes three months or so to really see massive benefits where some people might do it once and see massive benefits. So um, like common things that I might hear is, um, you know, that mindfulness doesn't work for me or Mm. I'm too busy or my mind is too busy for mindfulness. Mindfulness is boring. Um, So they're not so much not complying, I suppose, but they're not really, sometimes they're a little close to that idea. Mm. Um, Another one I see a lot, and I actually wanted to check with you what your thoughts were here and that was, slowing down with injuries so telling them mm. okay it's time to actually rest those injuries because if yeah. you don't rest those injuries your um you know your recovery period is going to be way longer yeah. um so i find giving knowledge and information there um is really vital that actually mm. it is going to be a lot longer and you know check in with your physio uh, yeah so <laughs> <laughs> make sure you're doing this safely do you find that as well dan um in yeah. your field that yeah wanna get back onto the field or um the pool or whatever
0: mm, definitely um i feel i feel like as you mentioned before uh, the the mindfulness thing and slowing down athletes are so primed to be ready to attack at all times um so part of my biggest battles with athletes is to educate them to that hey you need to rest the stress fracture you cannot keep running on this essentially tiny little broken bones right um but one thing that i find helps is if you if you need to stop the athlete for running for example try to keep them busy in another way because a lot of their a lot of these athletes i feel like their identity lies within their sport
1: yeah and that's a really good point there. like the identity is just so tied in isn't it Mm. and some i guess some athletes just find it so difficult to see anything beyond that or other parts or aspects of themselves like i've Mm. um, worked with some athletes where in injuries though they've you know, one of them in particular went and wrote a cookbook, for example, and cool. <laughs> you know found other yeah, just totally different to what she was doing. And yeah, um, I really encourage that as well. And I, I think yeah, you get those ones where maybe they're just closed off to doing anything outside of their sport for mm. recovery. <laughs> Um, it's probably a challenge. I think
0: having hobbies is so important, right? For for mental health and just to take your mind off whatever you're focusing on. That's why I love creating reels and just, just silly videos. Is even though it's physio related technically, but I can kind of exercise that creative part of my brain, which. I guess it can get exercise with work, but it's a different it's a different part of my brain that's churning, I feel.
1: Yeah, 100%. And it gives us the entertainment. So thank you for those.
0: <laughs> yeah, if it can make at least one person's day a little bit brighter, it's, it's worth twerking in front of 2000 people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's move into our, our next question. Often as physios, we have to deal... Sorry, it sounds bad. We have to deal. We get to deal with clients or patients that suffer with persistent pain Um, this area is a big area it's a can of worms really but for persistent pain is the acceptance and commitment theory ACT more effective than cognitive behavioral theory CBT
1: they're both very effective evidence-based theories both um, acceptance commitment theory and cognitive behavioral theory I'll break them both down just briefly and layman. So um, acceptance commitment therapy helps clients to behave more aligned with values. Um, it integrates mindfulness and acceptance mm-hmm. of what's going on. And it helps clients to accept thoughts and feelings without trying to change or control or fight them. Yep. So it's a little bit alternative to what we're kind of used to, which is like, how do we distract or how do we mm-hmm. replace them? How do we push those thoughts and feelings away because mm-hmm. they don't feel so good? um so it's kind of someone with persistent pain it might go this theory like acceptance commitment theory says yes we we know that your pain does hurt um but we know that pain is somatic it's a neurological or neurological reflex we know that um it's the mind that's causing that struggle the way that we're thinking the way that we're feeling but we're not going to push against that struggle. We're going to let it come and go. We're going to accept that. And we're going to know those emotions come from the mind. Does that make sense with the acceptance commitment?
0: Yeah. If I can break it down to even more layman's terms, yes. the ACT theory is it kind of just tough titties? Like just accept uh- it, <laughs> accept it and, and move on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, in <laughs> yeah, in a in a sense, it kind of is. It, it's um creating what we call psychological flexibility so you've been flexible with what comes and you're observing it rather than being stuck with it and right. fixating on it but in <laughs> at the end of the day it is kind of like that it's you know it's coming it's going you're letting it come and go and you're yeah. doing what's of value and importance to you regardless of that pain still being there where if nice. we flip it around and we've got cognitive behavioral theory that theory highlights that thoughts behaviors and feelings are all like connected. Mm. So if we can change our thoughts and behaviors, we might change our thoughts and behaviors if they cause any harm and distress. That's things like if our thoughts are catastrophizing thoughts or minimizing mm. thoughts, chronic pain might be things like, I'll never get well again. Mm. I'm a burden to everyone around me. Insert many different lines there. Yeah, yeah. CBT will, will say, well, we need to challenge those thoughts and we need to replace them with positive thoughts or yeah. We need to think in a way that we change our perception of pain um, mm. and challenge those beliefs, which I think is really helpful. Sure. To to challenge those again, I think I'm not. I'm being really diplomatic with my response because I'd get in trouble either way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I I personally use a little bit of a mixture, which I yep. think is maybe um a little bit different alternative. I I start with I personally start with um. Allowing allowing clients to understand the thoughts that they're having and the role that they have. Mm. And then allowing them to then challenge um those thoughts or, you know, see if there's any evidence for those thoughts. Like yep. if I am a burden if if I am a burden for my family, do I have any evidence to say that
0: mm.
1: I am a burden? Mm. Um so um, but I think with ACT, clients will spend an enormous amount of energy trying to fight those thoughts and those feelings. It's almost nice to allow those clients to know that it is human to suffer. It's human to have these thoughts and feelings. Yeah. So if we have an effective way where you can let them come and go, but do what's important to you, then that's a really nice way to be, but also a really difficult
0: way. You've, you've answered yeah. that really, really well. Um, the person who, who asked this question, I, I hope... I hope this has helped. Um, And also it's important to understand that as physios too, like we need to be working in with yourselves, like psychologists, Mm -hmm. clinical psychologists, sports psychologists, and we need to work together. Um, It's not a physio's job to try to implement CBT or or act. That's the whole point of having these different professions is so we can collaborate and uh, get this patient overall better. Let's get into our next one. How do you approach the mental health of an athlete who's out of action due to injury?
1: Mm, that's all. These the, all these questions have been so good so far. Mm, my so followers, they're all
0: they're all smart cookies. So I, don't, I didn't expect any less.
1: Yeah, fo- followers or fans, Dan.
0: Neither. I paid them to uh, ask the
1: <laughs> <me> questions. Oh, <laughs> uh, athletes who are out um due to injury, focusing on positives is massive. Yeah. Um, I know that one's pretty. You know, that's probably a real fluffy one. But focusing on the positives and gratitudes there. Um, is really important. I think I've seen athletes have a little gratitude um, diary that they'll write in mm-hmm. uh, during the day, focusing on like we said earlier the the identity outside of being an athlete. I think is so crucial. Um, and hobbies, looking at other things they can do, yeah. looking at the things they can do rather than just all the things that they can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, setting really clear goals. Um, I'm really big on visualization. I think positively visualizing. Mm-hmm where they want to go um, and imagining themselves being all healthy and getting back into their sport and really kind of linking with that and what that, what that would feel like as well. And being mindful and present in what they're doing and honoring that, you know, they can feel and those feelings do suck and there's a grief and adjustment period there. So letting themselves feel, I think is important. Yeah. Is there anything that you'd add to that? Side or anything that you've experienced with athletes that come to you. Um,
0: as I touched on before, I like to try to keep them busy. So if they can't run, I get them to cycle. If they can't cycle, I get them to, uh, to swim. Uh, I just I try to I try my best to offer them with uh, possible solutions. And but at the end of the day, it's they got to make that choice to try something a bit different. That's probably the the only thing I'd add. To that.
1: Yeah, they they like that. I'm sure having sometimes they just want to have someone give them some solutions. I'm sure as well. Mm.
0: That's why they pay. Yeah. It's it's to get solutions.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a power to actually saying it to someone that that is maybe not their family or their friends as well. Someone neutral yeah. and professional.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, prof- yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll, t- I'll take that. <laughs> I feel like we're we're the, we're a good combination between being professional and also being goofy. And I think patients love that. Right?
1: They do, they do. I have um I have the yeah, them um, come in and say, Oh, I loved your Instagram post this nice. morning. It was so funny. Yeah. And then I have the teenagers come in and roll their eyes and say, oh, I can't believe you did that.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about performance goals. Now, the person who asked this question, he's a weightlifter, Olympic weightlifter. So for performance goals, do you prefer to focus more on the long or short term? Sorry, I just had a stroke, short term goals. <laughs> sorry i'll I'll reword that question for performance goals do you prefer more on the long or short term goals
1: another good question yeah so i think look i think both are really important and i Mm. think without knowing where the destination is it's really difficult to then sort of narrow back and um, make like establish those process and performance goals. So I mm-hmm. think definitely start with a bit of an outcome goal of where you want to go. Um, Why you're actually doing it to begin with is really important too. And then I would really sort of, I would more just like kind of leave that somewhere and know, know what it is and have it in the back of your mind always, but always come back to those process and performance goals. And I, the reason being is because you have a lot more control over those ones. Mm. So I have a lot of athletes that might say, you know, I might say, what's your intention in going into this race? And then they say, oh, I, I just want to go and win. Yep. And I'm like, well, that's everyone's intention. I'd, I'd say 100% of them are out there yeah. saying, I would really like to win. Yeah. Um, and that's great. And you know that. And I think they all know that in the back of their mind. So what can they do? What do they have control over? To mm. best be able to win, so mm-hmm. I I would say if you can focus on those short term goals, you're gonna get that outcome anyway. Is yeah. or it you'll have the best um likelihood of getting it. So like for example, if if you're say a runner, um the outcome might be be top be in the top ten of runners in the running race. Mm-hmm. Performance goal might be you know to do a five k within say sub 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and then a process goal might be I'm going to focus on my breathing my rhythm or train four times a week yep so they're the things if you you know the process will take care of the performance the performance will take care of the outcome
0: oh I love that I'm going to quote you on that that's awesome
1: oh yeah (laughs) get that tattooed
0: on my right shoulder blade I'm glad you said shoulder shoulder
1: blade blade. (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) I was going to say something else but um you know I might get cancelled.
1: Wait, let's not upset your fans.
0: <laughs> oh, upset? I think it'll do the opposite. <laughs> Have you read a book called Atomic Habits?
1: Not yet, but it's on my reading list. Right, yes. because what you that, said that. about
0: processes and and I think there's a part of there's a chunk of that book that actually goes through that. I think I'm gonna butcher this paraphrase, but it's something about if you want to set a habit, focus on the processes, and then naturally over time the habit will take care of itself it's something like that but processes yes, is a big one focus on that and the outcome will take care of itself
1: totally totally mm-hmm. and i'm glad it says that and it's such a like what i've heard is it's a really good book so thanks for reminding me
0: yes it's a great so, book
1: yeah and with that on that note dan i'd, I'd mm-hmm. say also a little tool there if you do want to sort of track processes is a little habit tracker you mm. can get them online for free mm. and you color in the little squares each day that you've done that particular process or habit. And I nice. find that really helpful. Just super simple. Um, some diaries have them nowadays, but yeah, just print them out um, online. Get habit trackers. Pretty yes.
0: Good. Sometimes just using a, Old fashioned pen and paper can help so much with goals, right? Like at the moment, and so. I'm happy, I'm going to share this with everyone just so you guys keep me accountable. I'm currently weighing at 106.6 kilos and I want to lose to 25 kilos. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Holy crap. Like 95, what? 95. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. 95 kilos and so what i've done is i've put in front of the scales i've put a piece of paper and every week when i weigh i'm going to write write um my my weight hopefully it's getting lower and lower
1: awesome dan yep yep that's good and that was a really good example of a performance goal right there because you've got something solid and that's you know um the outcome is obviously the total amount, and then mm-hmm. performance would be those those little incremental ones that you you do along the way.
0: I love that. I yeah. feel motivated. So that's awesome.
1: Oh, excellent!
0: After this podcast, so I'm gonna good. I'm gonna go bench um, hundred kilos. <laughs> so good. All right, let's get into our last final question. I'm actually really excited to to hear your thoughts on this. Um, mm-hmm. The question is: How can athletes maintain their confidence in competition, even when they already possess the skills
1: yeah i guess look the thing to remember at first before looking at looking at i guess the pinnacle of when that athlete is under pressure and they're choking in an event is look at having that background knowledge as as pressure rises anxiety rises and anyone who knows of the inverted U theory so the upside down you on the left side is you know low arousal um low anxiety and then on the right side you're psyching out um anxiety is really high and performance goes down as the Mm -hmm. you goes down Mm -hmm. Uh, in the middle there, you've got a nice um, point where you're, you know, in the zone and you're performing really well, that middle point. So everyone's got a different point where they perform their best or their optimal. So if you understand where you are in that point, it it definitely does help you to do things um, before you actually perform or to even notice where your body's sort of going and those signals when you are out um, doing your sport. Another thing is having a already established reset. So Mm. for example, I know athletes who tug on their dresses and that tells them, okay, it's time to reset. I have some who rub their fingertips together for that tactile um, connection um, and to sort of like be mindful and bring themselves back. I have others that have words that they write on themselves or mantras. Cool. So whatever's best with the client for me, if I'm cycling and I'm in the back of the pack Mm. and I'm really struggling, I say to myself, keep up the momentum. And that really brings me back. Awesome. And that's because I've practiced it in high pressure environments. Um, I know what it means. Yeah. So having that meaning towards it. And if you can practice in as many high pressure environments as possible mm-hmm. before, so you actually put the theory to practice, then you're going to have more likelihood to, I guess, not choke as much under pressure or get into that optimal zone. I'd also say, um, leave errors on the sideline as much as you can, as much as that's easier said than done. Sort of say to yourself, okay, whatever you need to say, like refocus, come mm-hmm. back, um, Focus on the next thing, or that's in the past, and then come back to that, say, error that you might have made, or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that's kind of put that pressure on you to choke. Yeah. And write about it after, record it, talk to your coach, talk to your parents, whatever you need to do. But have that time later because it doesn't belong there in that moment it's taking away energy that you don't yet need to take away from the game
0: i love the upside down you analogy and it's a good way to visualize that and at the moment in australia there's the the tennis season is is happening this is my go-to uh opener question for my patients it's uh it's the old Have are you catching the tennis this this weekend (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Always Dan, i can
1: imagine you saying in your head like don't say it
0: don't say it don't <laughs> say it but uh, with tennis players I, I used to play tennis and the frustration is real like you you hit three unforced errors and you just feel so pissed off and frust- frustrated um mm-hmm. and it's so hard to put that error aside because the next point is literally 10 seconds later it's hard to kind of regroup and refocus and we see this in like some younger players curious and coconut is like they they struggle I feel from what I can see anyway they struggle to just put that aside and you get your more elite players like um like Federer who Nadal who just kind of moves on and they just have the mental strength of an of an ox I feel
1: totally they do and they have really good models um out there and they may have done a little bit of that work as well Mm. um to emotionally regulate and yeah was there something that you did Dan and tennis to to reset that actually worked
0: well I just felt myself get more and more frustrated. I think I've broken like 20 tennis rackets in my life. So that's how I reset. I just smack a tennis racket and my mom got pissed off at me. She said, you gotta stop doing that. I'm not buying you another damn tennis racket. Um so just the vision of my mother scolding me reset me and stopped me <laughs> that racket on the ground.
1: Now I can see where a lot of the motivation behind your reels must come from as well. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah my mom. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like if tennis, I mean I've had tennis players in the past where they'll, um, you know, do something like stroke down their tennis racket and just feel mm. the, um, you know, just feel the feeling of the tennis racket. And some people are so tactile that just really soothes them. Mm. Or they might. I've had another tennis player who thought about um making fashion, like she would do, make her own dresses and things like that. Mm-hmm. And she would bring her her brain to something completely different in the moment to reset. Mm-hmm. But I'd say a really important thing is to come back to what your next process is. What's your next move? What do you need to focus on right there? And then um, to, yeah, reconnect. I know it's really difficult though, and especially in a game like tennis,
0: yeah and it's hot and you just get a little bit flustered anyway well thank you so much for answering all those questions so well and thank you to all the listeners who sent in these uh these amazing questions oh and also thank you for choosing the flexing physio over um sports medicine project (laughs) throwing shade on blake and kelly sorry guys but she's I'm chosen. So sorry guys. She's chosen the best one.
1: <laughs> the lack of loyalty on my part. Loyalty. Well, <laughs> maybe I was just practi- maybe I was just practicing with you. Um,
0: oh, okay. yeah, so fair then enough. I'm
1: through like an optimal one with them.
0: <laughs> nah, that's no fair. That's no fair.
1: <laughs> no,
0: it's great. It's good. I was so nice that we'll be connected. Awesome. So thank you again for listening. And be sure to check in next week for our next episode. Bye guys. Bye. Bye.